0: Alright, so when I hear, I don't think I'll ever be able to hear Christmas songs again. And not get excited. But then it also makes me, that when I hear, that when I heard it last week, when I hear Ernesto start to sing, it makes me think about last December, the first December we were together. When we first came together, the first time we gathered together in this neighborhood. We were in the park, and we were in the gym, and we were singing Christmas songs. So I think that's something for us to remember. A memorial stone, in a sense, for us to think about um, what God has done, even in that time. What He's done in our lives, and what He's done in this neighborhood. And how God has worked, and how we've been able to participate in that. And that's just crazy. It's nuts. Um, it's crazy what God is doing, but I'm so excited about it. And so today, we're going to continue on in First John. I'm going to pick up where Matt left off last week. But this is going to be a little bit of a summary message. All right, we're going to go back and look a little bit at the First John, what the context of First John is. As we get to these verses, we're going to talk about chapter 3, verse 19 through 24. But we're going to summarize because I believe John is summarizing, and I believe he wants us not to miss this point. And as we look back at the book of First John, this letter, I told you guys to begin with, and sometimes we forget that, but we get focused on this text right here, these few verses, but it's about fellowship. If you look at First John, chapter one, verse three, it says, "That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you." He's talking about Jesus. We've seen this Jesus. We've heard about this Jesus, and we're going to proclaim this Jesus to you, so that, so that you too may have fellowship with us, so that you can be with us, so that you can be a part of us, so that you can be a part of Him. And then he describes that fellowship. He says, "And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son Jesus Christ." That was the purpose. That was why John is writing. He wants us to understand. He wants to proclaim Christ so that we can have fellowship with them and so that our fellowship is with Christ and with each other. And that's specifically Christian. We talk about fellowship a lot. Oh, we can gather together. We can have this fellowship. But we cannot have fellowship with people that are not believers. We can't have true Fellowship, fellowship with God and fellowship with others unless we're part of the family unless we're children of God but in that fellowship we have this common presence that we talked about that we get to be together but then we also have this common participation that we get to do together so we get to participate together with each other we get to participate with God but we also get to be with God and we get to be with each other it's vertical and horizontal And so reviewing more in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, if we, have, if we say we have this fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have this fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. We're in God's presence, we're in each other's presence. We participate with God and we participate with each other. And so that's in chapter 1. And then John doesn't say the word fellowship anymore. But I've told you this whole book, this whole letter is about fellowship. Because then he moves from talking about fellowship to talking about abiding. And he talks about abiding and he says abiding, uses the word abiding 18 times in the remainder of the letter. He uses the word abiding more than any other author in in the New Testament. In his gospel of John, he uses the word abiding again and again and again, this abiding. And so for us to understand this letter, we have to understand what it means to abide. And we've talked about that, but I don't know that we've gotten really clear on it. And as I dug in and I wanted to study this, abiding is continuing in that fellowship that we have. We have this fellowship with God. We have this fellowship with each other. And now he says abide in it, continue in it, stay in it. So abiding is a verb, in a sense, a fellowship. It's fellowshipping, okay, is abiding. So we continue in this fellowship, we abide together. And that should be demonstrated in our lives. It should be demonstrated in our fellowship. This continuing, ongoing fellowship that we have. And then John got to the end of, or the beginning of chapter 2, and he says, and Trent taught about this, about Jesus, and he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we have this fellowship, and we ought to abide. We ought to walk the same way that Jesus walked. And Trent talked about, so what does that mean? How, how do we boil that down? What, is it that, what does it mean to walk like Jesus? And he said two things. He said that we'd have truth and love. So to abide in this fellowship is to demonstrate truth and demonstrate love. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we're to do. It says we ought to. The word there is actually we're indebted to. Because of what Christ has done for us and we've received that, we are indebted. To walk the way he walked. We're indebted to live in truth and in love. So abiding is a labor. It's a labor of truth and a labor of love. And I think the entire letter, as I told you, centers around this point. This idea of fellowship, this idea of remaining in this fellowship, and that fellowship and that abiding is all through truth and love. So today we're going to talk about truth and love. John in chapter 3 starts to talk about the children of God. He, remember we talked about beholding the love of God, that we are called children of God. And then in the verse 1 through 3 of chapter 3, he talks about that we need to actually become to resemble God. Children of God start to look like God. They start to act like God. They start to think like Him. They start to love like Him and, and have truth like Him in their lives. And as we work through chapter 3, I taught a couple of weeks ago about this abiding in the truth, that we would be, would be righteous. He says if we are righteous, we've got to continue in our righteousness. Remember we said we had to exercise that, we have to continue in that, that God would make us more like him, that we would reflect the truth, that this righteousness is a demonstration of the truth, what's right, what's godly. And then Matt last week talked about abiding in love. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. So John talks about abiding in the truth, living it out in righteousness. Then he talks about abiding in love, demonstrating and living out lives of love. And then in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. He summarizes that love. He says that love isn't to be by what we say, that love isn't to be by what we've written down for a doctrinal statement, what we put on our website. That love is to be by deed, which is actually this labor, this working out, and by truth. By this working out of our love and this truth that's reflected in it. That's what our love is to look like. Truth and love are inextricably connected. They cannot be separated. Truth and love were in God. Truth and love, we're in Christ, and truth and love should be in us. Now when I, at work, I'm sort of a middleman. I've got staff that are on the floor that are actually treating the patients, because, you know, they say those who can't manage, so that's what I do. I can't, so I manage. So I've got staff that are working with the patients, that are treating the patients, going from room to room in the hospital, and then I've got administration down the hall, who I have to report to, and I have to keep happy. And so my world is is balanced between this patient care, between a quality of care, we need to give great care to these patients, we need to give quality care to these patients, and then finances, all right? Those are the two things in my world that I have to keep an eye on. It has to be financially uh, responsible. We can't just continue to lose money and lose money and lose money or else we can't care for patients. And then we have to provide great care to patients or else we'll never make any more money. And so those things go back and forth, back and forth. But I know when I have to put forth a a strategic plan, when I have to put forth, this is what I want to do, this is what I think our department should be about, this is a program I want to start. If I've got justification and it will improve patient care and it will improve the finances, I'm good. I can walk into administration, I can go over my report, I know they're going to approve it. I have to have both. And that's what John is telling us, we have to have both. We have to have truth and we have to have love. We have to have both. If we have truth and love, then we're going to be in this fellowship. Then we're going to demonstrate what God wants us to demonstrate. We're going to glorify Him. But we tend to go one way or the other.
1: By our nature,
0: you're either more of a truth seeker or you're either more of a lover. It's hard to do both. Warren Wiersbe says, truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. If we're all about truth, it's brutal. We, we, we can't love on anyone. If we're all about love but we don't speak the truth, it's just hypocrisy. It has to be both. And I I was laughing with Melanie when we were talking about the message of which way that I am. And I think before... At least in the church, I used to be more of a lover. And then as I started, took this role in this function, like, okay, I've got to ensure sound doctrine, I've got to ensure this is about the Word, I've become more uh, on the truth side. And not that either side are right. But personally, I want clear directions. I want it written out. I want to understand. An example I have of this is these chair racks over here. When we got the chair racks, we had them in the floor here. And it was me and Sergio. We were right here. Him speaking in broken English and me speaking in broken Spanish. And then Emmanuel and Keith were on the other side. We had two racks. And of course, we're men. So as we sat them out, it was like, who's going to finish first? We went at it it two very different ways. I opened the box, I got the instruction, I said Sergio, hold on. I'm gonna go through these instructions, I'm gonna read them completely. I want you okay, now line up those five screws of that size, now line up the ten screws this size, now line up the the nuts, the washers, get everything set out, let me go through all the instructions, I wanna understand the whole thing and we're gonna walk through this step by step. Keith and Emmanuel? Not quite so much. (laughs) They ripped open the box, they just started to look at the parts, and they're like, I think this is, they're looking at the picture, like, I think this is how it goes together, and they were putting screws in, and this left and right, and they look over at us, I'm like, that's not fair, I'm reading the instructions, I'm following the way it's supposed to be, and you guys are just making this up as you go along. But it was two very different perspectives, and neither one was wrong, even though Sergio and I finished first. And we didn't have to redo anything. But that's just our nature. We go in one direction or the other. And so I want you to think about, do I, do I lean towards God's love? Do I lean towards His grace? Or do I, do I lean towards this truth? Which one makes me feel more comfortable? Which way do I want to go? And I would tell you, you don't need to go either way. Wherever you're at on that continuum, you need to come back to do both. Jesus did both. He wasn't one or the other. He was both. We say that Jesus, the gospel, is about Jesus. It's about the person and about the work of Jesus Christ. It's about this person of Jesus. He was completely righteous, completely true. He was the truth. But yet he demonstrated love, he gave his life for us. It says before we got to this in First John chapter three, he laid down his life for us. that's the definition of love. He was completely true, completely just, but yet he was completely loving. And so we are to be both. And as we're brought into this fellowship, we're brought in by truth and love. And what John is saying here in verses 19 through 24 of chapter three is if we abide. We have to remain in this fellowship. We have to abide in this fellowship in the same way. By truth and love.
1: Children of God
0: should be truth and of love. And let's read this message now with that in mind. Thinking about fellowship that God has brought us into. By truth and love. Thinking about this fellowship that he wants us to abide in by truth and love. Thinking about what we learned the last couple weeks of how we are to walk in the truth, grow in righteousness, but how we're also to walk in love and grow in love. And now John summarizes. So I'll read verse 19 through 24 in English and then Melanie will read in Spanish. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Alright, so I'm just going to make three points. It has to do with this fellowship, this abiding. We talked about fellowship as being in the presence of God, in the presence of each other. It's also then participating in, with God and participating with each other. And then how do we do that? How do we do that? And all of that is through truth and love. But how do we do that? So the first is we abide. Abiding in presence requires truth and love. So we look at verse 19 through 21. I want you to notice that it says in the, first part, or the second part of verse 19, it says, before Him. It says, our truth and our reassure our hearts before Him. And then as it ends in verse 21, it says, we have confidence before God. John is showing us here, this is about being in the presence of God, being before God. Because we have this fellowship, we get to be in the presence of our Father. And to be in the presence of God should be overwhelming. And if we focus just on God's truth, it would crush us. I want to show you Jeremiah 5, 21
1: through 23. These are examples
0: of when individuals came before God when they were in his presence.
1: Jeremiah five twenty-one through
0: 23. He says, hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. When we come in the presence of God, we know that it's a crushing thing. And a lot of times we just want to run from it. We want to turn our hearts from Him. We want to get out of His presence. It's too much to handle. But also, in addition to crushing us, it can condemn us. Isaiah 6, 5. He says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips. This is Isaiah when he came before the presence of God. He says, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah came before the Lord. When he came in the presence of God, it became very clear his condition. He became, it became very clear how holy and perfect and sovereign and amazing God was and how little and small and sinful he was. He's like, Woe is me. So what's your response to God's truth? Do you run away? Or instead of running away, do you figure out all these rules you can follow? I know I can't meet the truth, but let me create all these rules where I can feel better about the truth that I can keep because I can keep this legalistic marks that I can follow. Or do you just waller there and say, I'm helpless. What am I supposed to do? I, there's nothing I can do. This is too much for me to handle. I'm just going to sort of, I just get frozen. I can't do anything before God. Which does it move you to? Does it move you to run? Does it move you to action? Does it move you to inaction? We're not innocent. But we're also not helpless. And I want to say that if you haven't come to that place, if you haven't come before the presence of God, if you haven't been overwhelmed and amazed by His truth, overwhelmed by His holiness, just feel that low, feel crushing weight of who God is, then you don't know God. Then you haven't seen Him for who He is. Because the gospel starts with holiness. It starts with the holiness of God. I've talked before and I've said it again. We have to realize that we are more dreadfully sinful than we ever dare imagine. That's our... Place before God. We don't compare to Him one bit, but God. He doesn't leave us there. His truth is real. We see His truth in His presence, but He doesn't leave us there. God loves us as well. And it says here in the passage, it says, Thank God that He is greater than our hearts, because left to our hearts, left to our own position before God, we would be crushed, we would be condemned. But God is greater than our hearts, and He is sovereign, and He has chosen to love us. And despite that we are not holy, despite that we are sinners, God chose to love us. He chose to give His life for ours. He chose to be our advocate. Remember, John told us that in chapter 2. Now we have this advocate. I cannot stand before God. God's holiness, God's truth would crush me. But God loves me. And God sent His Son for me. He died for me. He died. He lived the life I should have lived. And He died the death I should have died. And now He's my advocate. And now He stands there before the Father. And now I can come into the presence of God and not be overwhelmed by His truth because God loves me. Because of the Gospel. We have this confidence to go before God. We have this confidence to remain in the presence of God. We have this confidence to abide in the presence of God. Because God is true and God is holy, but God is also loving. And God has made a way for me to do that. There's no longer condemnation if I am in Jesus Christ. I can stand before the holiness of God because of Jesus Christ. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done for me. And I can enjoy God's presence. I can revel in God's presence. I can stay there. I can remain there. And we can remain there together as a body. We can do that individually. We can do that together as a body. And that's part of this fellowship. is We're to be in the presence of God. To be in the presence of God together. But we don't just go there. We don't just be with God. We also do with God. We get to be in His presence. But He also then calls us to participate with Him. And so just as being in his presence is by truth and love, participating is also by truth and love. If you look at chapter 3, verse 22 through
1: 24, it's pretty clear
0: that to participate with God is to keep his commandments. He says, this is what I want you to do. And as if John hasn't told us before, John clarifies it here and he gives us a summary. He says this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as He's commanded us. That's what we're to do. Believe in the gospel. Believe in this truth and love gospel and love each other with truth and love. It's all through truth and love. But I think the order here is important. He says first I want you to believe in this gospel this person and this work of Jesus Christ I want you to have faith in this gospel and by that then you'll be able to love if we haven't experienced that love
1: I don't think we can give that love
0: we have to experience God's love to be able to give his love and we experience that love through the gospel through the person and work of Jesus Christ so we're far more sinful than we ever dared imagine yet at the same time we're far more loved than we ever dreamed we ever hoped we can't we can't um, contemplate it we can't understand it we can't get our heads around it how sinful we are yet how much God loves us and being loved like that we can love each other being loved like that we have a different perspective when we do communion I've told you guys when this example of the cup and this blood of the covenant And how Christ has taken, this is my life. My life is in His blood. And He's like, I give you this cup, this new covenant. I give myself to you. And He says, I want you to take it. But then in response, I want you to give your life back to me. We talked about how that was in the marriage. Um, ceremony where the, the man, the bridegroom, would go to want to marry the bride, right? So the bridegroom goes to the bride wanting to have this girl for, for, to marry, and he has to take this cup, he gives this cup, saying, I'm giving of you myself, and the bridegroom takes a drink and she gives it back to him and says, I receive you and I give myself back to you. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He says, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you this cup, this cup of the new covenant that's in my blood. And I want you to receive it. And I want you to give it back to me. You've taken my love. Now I want you to give my love or give love back. The gospel makes us lovers. Matt talked last week a lot about family. And about how we're to love like family. What does that look like for us to love like family? To resemble as little kids of God, our our father. So that was on my mind, and I was uh, watching ESPN on my phone. But it was Rutgers and Louisville. And on the back of Rutgers jerseys, for this championship game, they all had the acronym F-A-M-I-L-Y. Instead of having their names on their jerseys, they had this acronym that spelled family. And what it meant was, forget about me.
1: I love you, family.
0: They got that. Forget about me. I love you. They got it. They understood that. They understood that their team was more important than the individual. They wanted to demonstrate that. They wanted to claim that. They even gave up their names on the back of their jerseys so they could say, no, 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 it's about family. Forget about me. I love you. I love you, my family. And I'm going to demonstrate that, and we're going to participate together for this common purpose. And that's what God wants us to do. He says, come together, forget about yourself, love me, love your family, and let's participate in this purpose of my glory. Come be a part of this. And relationships are required for that. You can't love if you're not in a relationship. You can't say you before me if you're not in a relationship. We talk about being gospel-driven. Emmanuel reviewed those terms today. We're gospel-driven. We start with this truth and love of Christ and what he's done for us. And what does it lead us to? What are the other two? To be church-centered in these relationships and to be neighbor-focused, to be in those relationships. Because of this gospel, because we've experienced this truth and love of Jesus Christ, we move to being church-centered, loving each other, and we move to being neighbor-focused, loving our neighborhood. That's what we're to be about. This is what God has us to participate in. Many of us would prefer,
1: and I will confess,
0: lots of times I prefer just to be on my own. My wife left to go, my uh, sister in law had a baby, so I've got the four kids. And usually when Nidia goes, that means that it's actually some downtime because everybody knows that and they know I'm taking care of the kids and, 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 and our, our door tends not to revolve so much. But Friday and Saturday, our door has revolved nonstop. All the way through last night. Some of it, it was, it was great, it was good. But then you get done, you're like, I, I've got to finish preparing and, and, and I, had to, I was with all this time with these other people and I had all these conversations I had to complete and all these people were in my life
1: but because of that I had
0: to figure out what does it mean truth and love how do I live that out in these relationships how am I going to interact with the body around me sometimes I don't want to what is it there what is it there that makes me not want to be in relationship we need the relationships we need each other to be able to figure that out we need to see where we err on truth when we err on love we need to be able to do both and we can only do that through relationships but it always requires something of you relationships suck your time they suck up your emotions they suck up your energy everything they, they just take from you they take from you they take from you they take your pride they take your independence they take your money
1: they're
0: tough But do you have relationships, particularly, as this passage is talking, in the body? Are you in relationships? Not coming to church and talking nicely to each other, saying hello. Are you in relationships where you're sharing your life, you're vulnerable before other people? You need other people. You're interdependent on other people within this body. We are supposed to be interdependent. As we are dependent on God, we are interdependent on each other. And I was supposed to ask if I could share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. But I wanted to share this example that Melanie told me about today. On last Sunday night, Melanie and Emmanuel had invited Rebecca to go with them to see a movie. And I won't tell you what movie it is because you'll think less of them but I've still got to see it myself. So, they invited Rebecca to go. Rebecca was at work. Rebecca didn't have a vehicle to be able to meet them at the theater. And when her work schedule, she was just going to have to leave straight from work and go to the theater, but how was she going to get there? Well, Renee knew this. She knew Rebecca needed a car. Rebecca hadn't asked her for a car. But Renee on her own decides to get on her bike, or actually drive her car, to Starbucks where Rebecca is and give Rebecca her car and takes the bike Renee comes with her winter gear wrapped up, it was cold she gets on the bike and Renee rides her bike back home so that Rebecca can have her car to go to the movies to be with Emmanuel and Melanie nobody asked her to do that but she said well I heard Matt talking about loving my family and I figured I probably should do that and God brought that to her heart and she responded, she's like I'm going to do this for Rebecca She gave of her time, she gave of her warmth, she gave of the calories to go back and forth, the effort to do that, She, she gave up her time, she put Rebecca before herself. Do you put others before yourself? Do you do that in this body? It's not easy, it's hard, it's not normal, it's not natural. But that's what God calls us to do. He's like, I want you to love one another. So we have to consider if we're doing that. Are we willing to do that?
1: God's commanded us to do that.
0: Look around at the people next to you. Look around at this body. And think about this idea of family. Are you willing to say, forget about me. I love you. Are you willing to do that with each other? Because if you're not loving each other that way, if we don't have those relationships with each other, I don't know if we're abiding in this fellowship that God has given us. By this commandment, by what John is saying, if we don't do that, we're not abiding. It's pretty clear. I don't know a way around it. I looked, I searched, because I don't want to do that all the time. But I can't find a way around that. We are to love each other. And so I hope you're feeling overwhelmed. I hope that you were thinking there is no way I can do truth and love. Maybe I can do truth, maybe I can do love, but I can't do truth and love. And I would tell you, it is impossible. You can't do it. And that's why we see at the end of verse 24, it says, And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. John has told us, you cannot live In truth, you cannot live a righteous life. You cannot live a loving life, loving your neighbor, loving each other. You can't do it. But God has given you His Spirit. He's given you Himself. We talked about that before, that we have the Spirit of Truth, this Helper that God has given us. He he reveals the truth. He makes known the words of Christ. He makes known the Scriptures. We get to understand God. We understand His truth. But then He also helps us to live that out, helps us to love each other. And we're not going to talk about that in depth, because that's where John is going to go in chapter 4. He's going to talk about the Spirit. And how that spirit enables us to be truthful, and that spirit enables us to be lovers. So are you about truth, or are you about love? Should we be about truth, or should we be about love? And hopefully you see the error in that question. Hopefully you see that we can't separate those things, that we can't make that a dichotomy one or the other or this much of this one and this much of that one it needs to be both it's not a combination it's not it's not a mix it's both completely 100% truth 100% love and as I've thought about this and tried to think my way out of this one of the things that I've heard and I just want to mention it because I think it needs mentioning as I've heard myself I've heard others say well the most loving thing I can do is tell people the truth That's the most loving thing I can do. And yes, we need to speak the truth. Yes, we need to do it in a loving way. Yes, that is loving to tell people that. But what if Jesus would have done that? What if he would have come and what if he would have lived a perfect and a righteous life and he would have spoken the truth, he would have told us how we're sinful, he would have told us how we needed a God, and then he would have ascended back to heaven. He would have just left us alone. He wouldn't have interacted with us, he wouldn't have died for us, he wouldn't have loved us, he wouldn't have gone to the cross for us. Jesus could have just spoken truth and left us here and we'd be crushed and we'd be condemned. But Jesus spoke the truth and then he also, he gave his life for us. He laid down his life for us. He loved us. He went to the cross when he didn't deserve to. If Jesus did both, then so should we. And that's how we came into this fellowship, was through his truth and love. And that's how we remain in this fellowship, how we abide in it by truth and love. And it's how our lives should look. Our lives should be full of truth and
2: love.
0: So we're going to sing this song that we've sung before. It's called Undone. And it's actually about Isaiah from the verse that I read when he says, Woe is me. Uh, Who am I? I come before this king, this amazing God, this sovereign God, this holy God. And he says, I'm undone. He's overwhelmed by God's truth, by God's holiness, by who God is. But if you listen to the song, then he starts to talk about this baby that came, this infant in a manger that died for us, that loved us. He's overwhelmed by the holiness of God, the truth of God, and he's overwhelmed by the love of God, of what Christ did for us. It's both. And so as we sing this song, we've sung it before, but I want us to think about that. I want us to be overwhelmed by the truth Of God's holiness and the love that he demonstrated for us. And how is our lives reflecting that? Are we truthful people and are we lovers? And I pray that that's what we would be.